The content in this episode relates to questions asked by young people about sex education and is intended for those aged 16 and above. If you feel affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, the incredible people at brook.org.uk and stonewall.org.uk offer free advice and support. Young Voices, Big Issues. Join us as we explore the real power of Youth Rising. Youth Rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Hey, this is Youth Rising by NCS, where young people raise their voice to make a positive difference together. We're the podcast for young people, made by young people, and we're exploring the issues that matter most to our generation. I'm Musin, and on this week's episode, we're looking at sex education. What do we really want to know? We'll be hearing from Florence Given, Amika George and Gyne Girl as we explore this topic. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. Conversations around sex are happening with influencers, sex therapists, podcasters and what we're seeing on TV, opening up conversations and addressing taboo topics. My mission in life is to promote sex education. Everyone has bodies, right? There's nothing to be ashamed of. You can create moments of intimacy with yourself by masturbating. Can we just talk about vibrating? John, 59, he's in California, and he wants to know if size really matters. Be proud of your penis. Dispel myths and misconceptions so you can enjoy being the sexual human being that you were born to be. If that makes you uncomfortable, uh, that's on you. You heard there Sue Johansson, Miss Erica Storm, Emily Moores, clips from the Sex Education TV show and Florence Given, who will be coming up in just a minute. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. But there's still a lot that we feel isn't being talked about enough, like queer sex, consent, and the truth about STIs. So what is sex education? And what do we need to know? CJ spoke to artist, Sunday Times best-selling author, and the host of the brand new Exactly podcast, Florence Given, about knowing our boundaries, pleasure, and the importance of communication. Great to have you in today. Thanks to for having about me. This like, very interesting topic. What does sex education like mean to you, and what should it cover and include? Um, I would like it to be centered more around pleasure. And actually, I was very lucky that when I had sex education, they even introduced dental dams into the sex education, which no one I know uses. Um, but of course, a dental dam is for oral sex. And that was the first time I was shown that sex is okay to have for pleasure because you use condoms to prevent STIs and pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and, and all the other kind of sex acts that was spoken about would be to reproduce or all this kind of stuff but to use a a dental dam is like purely for oral pleasure and that's actually brings me on to another question about pleasure because I think that's definitely something that's constantly forgotten I think especially in terms of when it comes to women I don't know I was actually having this conversation with someone earlier about um, internalized misogyny when it comes to like pleasure and sex like what are your thoughts Mm. on that when it, what having shame about pleasure and yeah sex. it's just like it's a bit of an uncomfortable like awkward thing mm. to like admit that you enjoy 
Yeah, I mean, when I first moved to London, made a group of friends, all of them were queer, and I was so surprised at how many of them didn't like to talk about masturbation because they didn't, first of all, they didn't do it, and second of all, it's like a taboo subject. So I would literally talk to my friends about like how to hump your pillows and how I'd literally hump my pillows since I was a little girl. And then it was like this thing that all of the women I knew had also done that, but it, they were going to take it to their deathbed that they did it. They did not want to tell anyone. And I, I did this thing on my Instagram stories. I've spoke about it a lot before where a woman shared this story with me in, her, in my DM. She was like, Floss, I used to hump my pillow when I was a child. I thought there was something wrong with me. It, has anyone else done this? I put it on my Instagram story. I got thousands of messages, women saying they used to do it with their teddies, all this kind of stuff, and that they were going to take this to the grave, electric toothbrush in a sock, all of this like really embarrassing stuff, like cucumber, anything. And I think once you take away the shame, you've, you're so much more empowered and it doesn't, it doesn't have that control over you. And I think if you can learn to not feel shameful about pleasuring yourself and about wanting pleasure for your body, like we're built for pleasure, you know? That's why we have a clit. Like, the, the, the sole purpose of a clit, there's literally no other reason for the clit to be there except to give you incredible orgasms. So we need to be embracing it more, for sure. What about if you're, like, 16, 17, and this is something that you know that you very much do? And I don't know, it still mm. feels very awkward and uncomfortable. How do we sort of get rid of that from a younger age? Take baby steps into talking about it with your girlfriends. Like I said, you don't have to go, hey, who humps their pillow? Like, yeah. you don't have to be so brazen about it like yeah. that. Even that, oh, I'm turned on in front of other girls, if you've not spoke about sex before, can be quite, oh my God, it's like, are we allowed to do that? It's, mm. it's, it's wild. But I think maybe talking about the things that turn you on with your friends, like if you like the way a man does this in a movie, you can be like, oh my God, that's so hot. And then your friend might be like, yeah, that is quite hot, isn't it? I like it when men do this. I like it when girls do this. And talking about that and actually opening up the valve on pleasure in those little ways, I think can turn into talking about that the, the bigger kind of stuff. But once you free yourself of the shame, it's like a domino effect and you can you consistently liberate other people also. So when I first spoke about masturbation, all of my friends bought sex toys and then their friends bought sex toys. And then it's like, you become this like ambassador for pleasure. I definitely agree with you on that. So this is actually back on pleasure, but in terms of um, this whole idea that like, you can't have comfortable or pleasurable sex that's non-consensual. How do we navigate these boundaries? Do you mean yeah. how do you have hot sex while still asking for consent? Yeah, so and like you can like sexy, like exper Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you get to experiment and try all these new things whilst maintaining your boundaries and the other okay. person's boundaries. So like asserting yourself in the bedroom. Yeah, and, exactly. And having the confidence to do that. Yeah. yeah. First of all, your body belongs to you, and with that truth is the other truth that just because someone wants sex, you don't have to give it to them. Mm -hmm. You don't owe anybody sex. If you're in a relationship with them, if someone's horny, they're turned on, your boyfriend gets a boner, you're not obligated to go and give them a hand job. You, yeah. just, you have the right to say, I, I don't want to do that. Maybe later, but not right now. And then he can go sort himself out. Just because someone is aroused or turned on, you do not owe them to reciprocate that energy. I personally, I love the blanket statement of when someone says, we don't have to do anything tonight. That generally makes me feel really comfortable, mm -hmm. especially when I'm sleeping with someone. I like to say, we can just make out if you want. And automatically, the pressure of penetration fingering whatever it is the pressure immediately lifts yeah to go and have sex and then you're just more in the moment just saying to someone we can just make out if you want it gives them that oh great yeah and then you make it and then you might end up having sex because there's no pressure and you're in the exactly. moment right and those like mental blocks go that's something that i do and also there is a thing called blanket consent where you can say to someone unless i say stop 
you can do what you want. That mm-hmm. makes me feel really comfortable when someone says that to me because maybe I don't want to ask every step of the way because it, it might be a bit, oh, can I remove your knickers? Can I do this? Every single, and sometimes people are just, they, they're like, just, just go, just, just go. <laughs> but yeah. you still need consent. So you yeah, can, yeah. I like to say to people to give them that freedom, unless I say stop, you can go. Mm-hmm. And then it's a lot more fun. Like asking someone, how do you like it? Mm-hmm. Asking someone, how do you like it? And letting someone tell you. And if they go, actually, I don't know. Be like, well, can I play around? And mm-hmm. you tell me what you like. It's just so much more fun. And also, I think people need to get used to talking during sex as well. I didn't realize when I started dating women, I didn't realize how much talking there was going to be in sex. And I don't mean like talking about your feelings, although sometimes that yeah. does happen. <laughs> um, it's more like with men, it's it's the assumption. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it jumps from this to this to this, okay, because you want to get to this bit and you want to get me wet for this. It's, it's more like a, again, not every time with men, but it's more of like a script. Whereas with queer sex, there is no script. And so you're just kind of like moving along and also talking along the way because it's just there's so many different parts that you, you have to get creative because you use your hands and your mouth and it's just a lot more playful I feel mm-hmm. and then so going on to like trying new things and all of that stuff I think the conversation on foreplay and aftercare isn't something that is had enough I guess in terms of men for example when it's just like okay yeah I'm fingering you to get to this part Bish, bash, and then wait. exactly and it's just like it's not a very like I mean some people do like it that way and that's fine yeah. if you do but then some people don't and they mm-hmm. prefer it to be a bit more like I guess like a more like a sensual like yeah intentional I think that's a really good word to use so like what would you say in terms of like the importance of those things and again like how that is like respecting somebody's body or like the stuff that they like like enjoy yeah I think even the thing that you said about you know some people like that I think most people that convince themselves uh, most women who say oh no it's fine I like it but it's like your pleasure in a quickie is is not prioritized at all because Mm -hmm. it takes you so long to even become ready for penetration how is a quickie even about you if it takes you that long, it, it, it's the rushing to get to the bit that the man wants. And obviously we're talking about straight sex here. But yeah, I think, and I also don't like the idea of foreplay because again, it mm. does center the penetration yeah, yeah. Of, of the penis. And it's like oh, all about leading up to that act. The thing that I learned through having queer sex is that actually queer sex is everything else that straight people would consider the prelude to penetration. Actually, gay sex is all of those things and that's why it feels more playful and more intentional because it's more about being of service to each other as opposed to like how can I get you quickly to the place where I need you to be to have sex with you which is what foreplay is to uh, heterosexual sex. I totally agree with you the aftercare as well and everything whether that's like getting someone a glass of water it could literally be yeah, so basic it's, like, it's the little things that it's just like it doesn't have to be like you hug me and tell me that you love me mm. and we want to have kids together and get married like it's not love bombing <laughs> yeah, <literally, laughs> I mean, like, some guys it doesn't have that. to be yeah. that it's just like oh do you want to like watch a film I don't know like do you want mm. a glass of water do you want something to eat a snack down like yeah exactly high. it's just like it makes it seem like it's very it's like a self-serving act yeah right yeah, yeah because and, and it's 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 the the aftercare is so important because I recently spoke to a sex educator called Alex Fox and she spoke about something called a campsite rule that you should apply to casual dating. She said, every single person that you date or hook up with, you should leave them exactly how you found them or better, like a campsite where, where like you might pick up litter or pack up your tent or yeah. whatever it is. She said she likes to give people compliments. She likes to leave people better than she found them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something I've taken that on and I've been like, 
that's really cool because even if it is just a hookup that does not mean that you need to leave the person there feeling like tissue or just yeah. like because that's what casual sex and hookup culture for women who date men particularly can yeah. feel like it's like so you masturbated with my body and, and yeah and there was nothing there well, was like women are treated like they're quite like disposable yes. as well exactly what advice would you give to queer people fresh out of the closet who are about to embark on their sexual journey don't just have sex because you want people to believe that you're actually queer so that is such a good piece of advice yeah yeah particularly for bi women you have extra proving to do to the community because no one thinks that you're actually gay if you've not had gay sex blah 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 blah. it's this like urge you feel to prove you want to get the gay sex thing under the belt so that people believe you and also so you believe yourself and what I would say is I understand wanting to have gay sex because you want to know is this actually something that is a fantasy or do I actually want to endorse these feelings and I could date a woman marry a woman have sex with a woman whatever that is completely valid but also I would say let the if you are by curious let the other person know so that you don't break their heart um it's not that different to straight sex in that it's two bodies when I first came out I thought it was going to be this like alien like experience that like lesbian sex is so different it is just two bodies and two people talking two people coming together also don't expect yourself to know what to do with a vagina just because you have one every single vagina is different some people are gonna like it rubbed this way some people are gonna like it rubbed that way some people don't like being fingered they don't like penetration at all so you find other stuff to do some people love dry humping and for some people dry humping is sex so don't expect anything about the person you're having sex with just because you think I'm a woman she's a woman I should know what to do because even if you've had sex with a hundred girls and you're a girl the next person they're going to have a completely different preferences Mm. yeah so instead of asking what a first time is going to be like what sort of like notions about first times that you think are false yeah and just they hinder more than they help that it's going to be this like magical life-changing experience Mm. um don't expect it to be what you've read in books or movies or whatever because most of that stuff was influenced by porn anyway and porn is a performance yeah also just don't expect it to be like porn don't expect it to be beautiful expect there to be fluids expect someone to fart expect someone's stomach (laughs) to rumble expect there to be hair in funny places that you forgot to shave like expect all of these normal things expect acne scars expect all of this stuff that people might have on their bodies that doesn't make them perfect because neither are you. And all the stuff that you're insecure about, I found when I started dating women, was that I was seeing a woman in her complete unfiltered state. And it was so healing for me with my body as well to see a woman's body naked in real life and be intimate with it, as opposed to seeing something that's like on porn where they make women look like Barbie dolls for the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Thank you very, very much for coming on. I've had a really good conversation with you. You've kind of like changed my perspective. So thank you. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Our Youth Rising team got together to discuss different contraceptions and the reality of taking them. I mean, when you say contraception, there's two things that come to mind for me, and that's condoms and the pill. Okay, that's interesting because um, did you know there's multiple forms of contraception? More than those two. 
So you can have an implant that goes in your arm. You could have patches that you replace every couple of weeks um, that can regulate how, how often you like bleed as well. Uh, you can have an intrauterine device, which is um, inserted into your uterus. You can have the pill. So there's two types of pill as well, for that matter. You've got a combined pill, um, estrogen and progesterone, and you've got a progesterone-only pill. Is there, is there side effects to these? types there are lots of side effects um you can have acne you can have weight gain you can have mood changes on a on a day-to-day basis you can have nausea actually and things like mood swings mean that because you have to use your contraception for a certain period of time for it to be effective it means that a a lot of damage would have been done in that time Hmm. um of the side effects occurring so it can be really hard when you pick your contraception the only one that would be suitable for me that i've ever known about is condoms it sort of makes you think like is it is it fair and also something I'd never really thought about before you know what someone else would have to go through yeah did you know there was also like male contraception um it's not prescribed on a day-to-day basis at the moment but there is a male like contraceptive pill right and does it is it used a lot or it's not really people don't really use um that? i don't think so i don't think the nhs prescribes it it's just not in use because the side effects play a huge a greater role than the actual effects of the pill um so unfortunately it's not but in the future there's hope that you know uh, with conversation like this there'll be more research into male contraception as well mm. because you know it takes two to make a baby <laughs> yeah it does yeah it does We spoke to author, activist and period poverty founder Amica George MBE about how we can all educate ourselves better when it comes to periods. We'll be hearing from some young people who went out and made a difference in their community thanks to her work in just a minute. But first, Halim spoke to Amica about setting up the free periods campaign when she was just 17. When I was at school, I read an article about girls in the UK having to miss school for up to a week every month because they couldn't afford pads and tampons. And that just, reading that really shocked me. Obviously, I was at school myself at the time and, you know, had my period and it didn't really stop me from, you know, engaging in life in a normal way. So to to read that there were girls in the UK going through that every single month and this was something that had been happening for decades and no one was no one had been talking about it and it wasn't really in public consciousness that really shocked me really upset me it really felt like this silent issue that people just weren't aware of and i remember at the time there was a lot of press coverage around it and i think the main reason for that was um, a charity called freedom for girls had been providing menstrual products in kenya to the schoolgirls who needed them there and then they then had to redirect them to leeds because the exact same thing was happening And that parallel of Kenya and Leeds, I think, really struck something in a lot of people because we do have this like false sense of security that in the UK there's no such thing as poverty and, you know, we kind of like break the world into binaries of rich and poor and actually this was an issue that in the UK girls were too poor to go to school and were, you know, impacted for life because of that lack of access. So despite all the press coverage in the media condemning the issue of period poverty, I didn't see much discourse around a solution or around a way to stop it. It was just kind of saying this was awful. So that's when I started Free Periods as a an online petition on change.org, initially asking the government to provide free menstrual products in all schools and colleges. And it 
picked up and it snowballed and it was getting loads of signatures and it grew over about two and a half years from just an online petition that I started in, in my bedroom to a kind of global movement of people talking about period poverty, about the period taboo, but most importantly, it led to tangible change in that the government started providing free menstrual products in all schools and colleges in England from the beginning of 2020. It's really incredible to hear you talk about how your passion, what, what started as something you just read on a piece of paper in a newspaper actually grew into a national movement. I mean, it's really incredible. Why do you think free periods was so successful? I think the actual issue of period poverty sits at the intersection of different themes. Like, it's obviously a gendered issue, but it also has a huge impact on health and education when you kind of put yourself in the position of someone who would have to miss a week of school every month. And that's what really struck me, and I think that's what struck a lot of people. But there's also the added dimension of this doesn't just affect school-age kids, it's also people of in precarious housing situations, asylum seekers, refugees, and also just adults who, who just don't have that access. I think it really shone a light of on the level of poverty in this country, which is is what shocked a lot of people. And for me, I was so reinvigorated every time I spoke to or got in touch with someone who was who kind of suffered from period poverty because they would tell me of you know, the stories, particularly of their reluctance to talk to anyone in their family about what they were going through. They knew, you know, I remember one girl once wrote to me and said, I've never even bothered asking my parents whether there's money for tampons because I just knew they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any. And I knew I didn't want to put them in this situation, in a really uncomfortable and difficult position of having to say it's either, it's either tampons or food. So obviously, we we just can't afford it so they would kind they would really suffer in silence that was the main that was my main takeaway from from reading about period poverty but then i also do think that the taboo and the fact that we have been silenced and unable to talk about menstruation for a really long time for me that was something that was an obstacle at first but the longer the campaign went on the more i realized it was actually a really essential component of what we were talking about Do you think there's still stigma when it comes to talking about periods? 100%. I think it's got better, but it's still definitely a very, um, it's very present, the stigma, the taboo. I think growing up, I went to a girls' school and my family is just also quite open. So I was always quite comfortable talking about periods. And I think that kind of contributed to me feeling quite empowered to start the campaign and in, in some ways, I was a bit oblivious to the level of shame that shrouded the whole topic of menstruation. So I didn't really think about it until I got started and I started getting loads of messages online from, you know, people, particularly people who don't have periods, being like, this is disgusting. Don't talk about this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear you talk about periods when I'm having my breakfast or whatever. And I think that really, if anything, I kind of use that to keep me going I was like surely if there are people who are so affronted by me talking about a completely normal natural biological process publicly then this is just proof of how much stigma there is and how much we need to change that and I think I I really only questioned it at that point I kind of came back to what periods are and ultimately they're the reason that every single person exists and they're I think really amazing and really powerful and so so important and somehow culturally we've created this narrative where we can't talk about them and you know I was taught at school to slip a tampon up my sleeve so no one sees it but 
I mean, it's a tampon, like it's not going to do anything if you if you see it. So I think the more I thought about it, the more I questioned where that came from. And I think it's ultimately it's a patriarchal taboo that is, it, it's no coincidence that it's women and people of marginalised genders who have periods and periods of a thing that we're so shamed for. And and there's so much silence around them. What more can we do to educate men and what can men do to educate themselves? Really, yeah, really great question. Um, I mean, I think it just takes conversation. I think the idea of it being education can in some ways be intimidating because, you know, that, that kind of implies that you have to know the ins and outs of the anatomy and the biology behind it. But actually, the thing that I I've realised is that in life it affects everyone in some way or another even if you don't have one yourself in the future you know you're likely to be affected by a period in some way so the reality of having a period often you know it's pms and paracetamol and you know mood swings and eating a lot and you know it's it's all these like kind of tangential things that are actually really important in just understanding what it's like to have a period and so i think that conversation around what it feels like is really essential because then it also it becomes something less scary it becomes something less mysterious and it's so easy to talk about you know so often I would just be like it's worth those like few seconds of awkwardness for maybe in the future they would feel empowered to talk to a sister or a girlfriend or whatever about what they were going through. How can we help? In this section, we look at the ways we can give back to the community and speak to some inspirational young people who have gone out and made a difference on the issues that really matter to them. We heard from Isabella and Esther, two members of the Brighton Period Project that launched last year inspired by Amica's Free Periods campaign. They told us about what made them want to raise awareness and how we can all help out. One thing that we found, which probably a lot of you know, is that there's a huge stigma already around period poverty and periods in general. We felt it a lot of the time, I mean in every aspect of your life I think, on social media you see all the time that it's either kind of disgusting or it's just not mentioned at all. So we really tried to combat this stigma and taboo by raising awareness around periods and period poverty in general. We've managed to collect over 11,500 period products and donate them to women's shelters, food banks, a local charity called Off The Fence. Within the first week, we had a viral TikTok about period poverty that has gained almost one million views. So how can you help? Well, one way you can help a little bit is just by following our Instagram. Um, You can, I think, try and educate yourself a bit more, read about it. You can see in your community if there's anything you can do to help, if there's people around there that you can donate to. I think you can also just get talking about it with people. On Instagram, we're at Brighton Period Project, same with TikTok. If you're local to the Brighton area, we have donation boxes located all across the city and you can find their locations on our Instagram. There's a highlight and there's also a post about it. Let's talk about sex with me, Gani Girl. I asked physiotherapist, student doctor and sex health influencer Tiffany Sequeira, otherwise known as Gyne Girl, some of the burning questions our Youth Rising team has when it comes to sex. How can we identify if 
ourselves or our partners feel embarrassed and how can we prevent kind of awkward or embarrassing conversations surrounding sexual health? It's a hard one and I think there is still, even in this day and age, such a taboo around sexual health. And like my dream in a dream world would be that people talk about sex and sexual health just as they would what they had for dinner last night. The main thing is get comfortable with saying the words, to get comfortable saying penis, vagina, orgasm, um, cum, things like that. And the more you get comfortable saying those words around a partner, the more comfortable they'll feel as well. And it is one of those things, the more you're exposed to it, the more you open up those conversations and talk about it, the more comfortable you'll feel. And it might even be where if you feel partners and you're in a relationship, setting aside five questions that you want to keep and ask each other and ask each other every month and say how's sex going is it comfortable what do you want to do and it's just the more you do it the more comfortable you will feel over time unfortunately there's no quick fix sometimes sex can be quite painful do things like lube help with that um so lube is super super important if i could go and tell everyone something it'll be buy yourself a bottle of lube and keep it in your top drawer the main thing about painful sex is deciding what is causing that painful sex so if you're having sex and it's uncomfortable and it's not improving you should see a gp because there could be a lot of things that are going on that might be medically that we need to do something about lube is great because it decreases friction if you're using condoms you can lose water-based lube as well for women in particular with estrogen a hormone that we have that will increase and decrease over time and when that decreases naturally your vaginal lubrication will decrease so that's when lube is really important things like trying different positions and again it's all about that communication so communicating with each other what feels good what doesn't feel good and discussing that trying different things so particular condoms people might find more comfortable so latex free but it's more about seeing what is triggering painful sex and then discussing that with your partner and also a medical professional if needed how about when someone is on their period are they able to have sex and are there any benefits to it absolutely so you can have sex any time of the day week month year you want to as long as you're both consensual and both want to do it main misconception of period sex is a lot of people think they can't get pregnant um, you can still get pregnant whenever you have sex so definitely still use protection for people with uteruses who are on their period there is some evidence that it might reduce cramping which is really good and also sex releases and um, positive endorphins so also it can help with a bit of low mood if you're experiencing that on your period and that doesn't just mean sex with a partner that could be using your hands using toys using whatever you like and that can really benefit but yeah you can have period sex whenever you like it is again like we keep saying communicating it with your partner telling them what you want what you're comfortable with and going from there when should someone get an sti check how do you even book it and what does it actually test for so it depends really um they even with just one person and it's monogamous um not sleeping with anyone else we still advise that you get an sti check at least once a year if you've had unprotected sex we advise that you get an sti check and also if you're sleeping with multiple different people we advise that you get an sti check at least every three months the main reason why we don't say to get it after every single person is because a lot of the time certain stis take a while to show up so we could actually test you a day after you've had unprotected sex but actually those viruses so things like chlamydia won't show up until kind of two weeks later down the line a general STI check that you'd get in kind of like a gum clinic will generally test for syphilis, chlamydia and gonorrhea. And then also sometimes they'll test for hepatitis B, C 
and also HIV as well. And normally that's for a swab and also a blood test. And the main places you can do it is um, either going to your local gum clinic, family planning clinic. If you have a Google, there's a lot of ones that can get sent through your door now as well. And if in doubt, always go to your GP and they can direct you. Hygiene is really important when it comes to having sex, no matter what type of sex you're having. What are some of your tips when it comes to hygiene? Okay, so for people with vaginas, um, you've got a natural pH in your vagina and that is very sensitive and your vagina is self-cleaning so there's no need, I know you see a lot on TV, washes, scrubs, douches, things like that. You absolutely don't need anything like that, just water will do the job. Um, If you're using soap, wash around the outside of the vagina, so your labia, but you don't need to put soap or anything up there. And for men as well, same thing, um, just water. And if you're pulling back your foreskin as well, if you've got a foreskin to clean around there. In terms of sex, using condoms, if you're switching between, say, for example, anal and then vaginal sex, change your condoms. If the condom comes off, put a new fresh one on. And the same with using things like hands and toys, again, making sure that your hands and toys are clean and washed before but um you don't need to go out to the shop and be buying anything in particular um our genitals are self-cleaning unplanned pregnancy it can be so scary but if someone does go through it what should their next steps be okay so um first step take a pregnancy test we normally advise people to take three pregnancy tests if any of those are positive um next bit is to call the gp you can also call your local family planning clinic as well and they're fantastic they see it all the time if you don't feel comfortable calling you can also contact them online a lot of the time now as well and even if that you don't want to you can also get a friend or partner to call as well and they're fantastic they will guide you the whole step of the way we see it all all the time and it's very people don't talk about it but it's so so common as well and people are there it's their job to help you through this situation reading list. each week we're getting our guests to recommend a book that has helped to educate and inspire them on our episode topic this week's books are A book I want to recommend is The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. It completely changed the way I viewed my body and helped me understand that I have this way of splitting myself in two. When I look in the mirror, I I look at floss and then I look at someone looking at floss. The book I would recommend to Youth Rising would be Period by Emma Barnett, which is an incredible book. There's so much lack of empowering education and conversation around periods and Emma's book really encapsulates all the aspects of what we should be talking about to do with periods and whether you have one or not I think it's a really essential read. So the book that I would love to recommend is The Wonder Down Under which is by Dr Nina Brockman and Dr Ellen Stockendahl. It is essentially the bible for all things female health but also covers empowerment as well so it really teaches us what's going on but also how to make educated and empowered decisions about our own bodies. And here at the Youth Rising team we recommend Sex Education, A Guide to Life, the official Netflix show companion. This book is a straight-talking way to find answers to all your questions about anatomy, body confidence, consent, sexuality and loads more. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Youth Rising. Join us again next week as we discuss disabilities. Remember to rate, review and follow Youth Rising wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also check us out on socials at NCS on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat and YouTube. If any of these issues raised in this episode have affected you, you can find free support and advice at brook.org.uk and stonewall.org.uk. I'm Musin, and thank you to Lottie, Dan, Steph, Bruno, CJ, Pabadika, Halim and the Brighton Period Project Group for their help on this episode. And of course to our guests Florence, Amica and Gynigal. This was a Something Else production for NCS, where young people turn No You Can't into No We Can. Young Voices, Big Issues. Join us as we explore the real power of Youth Rising. Youth Rising. Youth Rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS.